Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, that week was a roller coaster, wasn't it? Welcome back to the Pens Cast. This is episode three. And since the last Pens Cast, the Penguins have gone in and out of a playoff spot about half a dozen times. But as we sit on Monday, April 3rd at 11 a.m., they sit in the second wildcard spot behind the Islanders by one point and ahead of the Panthers by one point. They do have a game in hand on the Islanders. And we're going to get into all of this. We're going to get into the implications for the race here to the playoffs, as well as I'd like to recap the games that happened this past week, because unfortunately I was unable to cover any of them for post-game recaps. I have been a little under the weather. I've been sick over the past week and a sinus infection. I'm on an antibiotic now, getting better. So my voice is a little more, as I say that, is a little more there. Um, So we're going to go through with this. And we're going to power through, much like the Pittsburgh Penguins did yesterday. But let's start all the way back. The first game of the week that we missed was the March 28th game, I believe, was the date. And it was Penguins-Red Wings. And it was a game that a lot of people in Penguin Nation expected to be an easy Penguin victory. It did not end up that way. It was one of those ones that the Penguins needed to have because the rest of the way they had more tough teams going along the way, and they still do. And they fumbled this one. They absolutely fumbled this one. They were riding the hot hand by starting Tristan, not sorry, not Tristan Jari, by sitting Tristan Jari and starting Casey DeSmith. I thought it was the right move. I said that on episode two, that they should ride the hot hand and let Casey cook a little bit here. It was not the right move. Casey put let up a seven spot to the Detroit Red Wings. It was a close game for the most part, but the Red Wings honestly did control play basically the entire game. But at the very end, even when it was close, David Perron got a hat trick against his former team of maybe three dozen games he played with the Penguins, not very many, after he got traded. And uh, by Edmonton and then immediately played some games with Pittsburgh and was immediately moved on to Anaheim in that Carl Hagelin deal that kind of kickstarted things back in 2015-16. But he came back to bite the Penguins and they, like I said, the Penguins were defeated in that game. It was, like I said, I thought it was a close game. I genuinely did. I thought it was a game the Penguins a, needed to have, but B, I think it was a game that they could, really could have had, and they just didn't. It started uh, in the, at the end of the first period. It was 3 nothing. They were really setting a deficit there, and then in the second period, the Penguins came back with some fire and some vigor. Jason Zucker got his 25th, assisted by Raquel and Malkin. Gensel got his 33rd, assisted by Malkin and Raquel. You heard those names already, so second assist for both of them. And then Jeff Carter got in on the action with his 12th of the season, another power play goal. Should have mentioned the Gensel one was power play as well. Carter's was assisted by Rust and Petrie. That tied the game. And then going into the third period, tie game. They, they eliminated the 3-0 deficit. There's some, there's some life there. Not so. 
David Perron just four minutes into the period gives them a 4-3 lead. Uh, 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 Josh Archibald comes back, gets his sixth of the season, ties it up just a minute and 21 seconds later, 4-4. And up until most of the third period, it was that tie game. But like I said, I still felt Detroit was playing, playing with the puck more, controlling play, and it paid off for them. Uh, with uh, 16.20 into the third period, so less than five minutes there, David Perron gets his second, assisted by Mo Sider and Andrew Kopp. It was a power play goal. I don't remember exactly what the, what the penalty was, but I remember it was a bad call. That Not a bad call by the refs, but a bad call as the Penguins could, sh- should not have taken that penalty. It was terrible to let that penalty happen. And then literally less than a minute later, David Perron gets his 19th of the season, his third of the game, his Hatcher goal to widen the deficit to 6-4, to four, basically crushing any hope for a Penguin comeback. And then Dylan Larkin really seals the deal with a empty netter, less than a minute left, assisted by Suter. And that will be the game. 7-4 to four is the final score in that one. The, Peng- the Penguins had an opportunity, I believe, with a win there to gain some ground in the wild card, obviously, and they didn't do that. They really fumbled in that game. It was in Detroit, granted, but Detroit is not a playoff team. They were in the hunt for a while, so I want to give them their credit, but the Penguins should have won that game. You can't leave Detroit in the playoff race that you're in without getting at least a point out of that, if not two, and they did neither. They left losing by three, empty net goal, you know, whatever, but nonetheless, it was tough. It was a tough game. One of their former players came back to haunt them, as I feel like they always do. And Casey DeSmith did not perform well. I don't think all of those goals were on him. I from I remember watching the game. I think there were like three of them that he looked particularly bad on, which still isn't great. But he let in six, seven goals total with the empty netter. Not a great game for Casey DeSmith. And the next game was... Thursdays against Nashville on March 30th in Pittsburgh against Nashville, pardon me, where it was the Tristan Jari comeback game and he shut down the Predators. I think they had a lot of good opportunities, but the Penguins get the shutout by Tristan Jari in his return game. He had 28 saves. And in this one, the Penguins really peppered Saros, UC Saros with shots. They did. And they only had two goals to show for it, which is more of the same condition the Penguins have had this entire season, where they can get a lot of numbers on the on the board for shots and uh, some even good opportunities, but they had no finish. They had two in this one, which they're lucky that tra- that Jari got a shutout because if not, two usually isn't enough to get a go- to sorry to get a win. But nonetheless, they're facing a Nashville team that was hungry, that was also in their own playoff uh, race. They've started to taper off a little bit but they're still not they're not eliminated yet they still can make a run here they especially with uh winnipeg falling a little bit here recently nashville's playing for something their gm sold off in his final year he sold off at the deadline to recoup a lot of picks and younger assets and they were playing with a lot of like, a piss and vinegar but the penguins were able to hold on and get that two nothing victory no goals in the first. In the second period, Jason Zucker gets his 26th of the season, assisted by Dumoulin and Malkin. And that was a great pass by Dumoulin. Dumoulin has had a lot of flashes uh, in the second half of this season of some offensive prowess, which is not what he's known for. He's been the shutdown guy on Latang's pair. 
his entire career, basically, since he, you know, came up with the Penguins after getting traded by Carolina here. And but he's been he's had some finesse to him. He has some hands that he hasn't really shown a lot of, but maybe someone on the coaching staff has told him to be a little more free with it. Just try some stuff and it's worked. So I'm really proud of him. I, I remember the the one game uh, a week ago, I said that he looked a little fluky with the Carter goal where it looked like a pass shot. Maybe, you know, you don't really know what he was going for with that. And it went ran on Carter's tape and was deflected in. But that was a good one. Uh, so maybe it wasn't a fluke. Maybe he actually it does have some hands here and uh, can contribute offensively down the stretch here. In the third period, Jake Gensel rewards Penguins fans with Jake Shakes with his 34th of the season as a power play goal assisted by Ricard Raquel and Chris Letang. And that would do it. That seals the deal in Pittsburgh. A lot of penalties in that one. We're going to get into penalties here in a second with the uh, Philly game. But Penguins do end that one. Getting the two points in regulation. Huge two points. Much needed. And then they were off to Boston on Saturday. Well, playing Boston in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Excuse me. And this was the... Uh, the Nashville game was the beginning of three games in four nights. Four days, rather. They played Nashville Thursday. Had Friday off. Saturday played Boston. Sunday played Philadelphia. So a tough stretch there for the Penguins in playing. And it didn't help that smack in the middle of it was the best team possibly in NHL history, at least regular season-wise, the Boston Bruins. They played Boston Saturday afternoon. They did lose that one 4-3. to three. Uh, Well, the Penguins, rather, lost that one 4-3. to three. And it was a super close game, and tensions were high with, within the team after that loss. They thought, as I did as well, that they could have won that game. They were so close. They played that Boston team really tight, which for me is a good sign of things to come because if they do fall into that second wildcard spot come game 83, then I'm comfortable. I'm more comfortable with it after that game than I was before that game was played. They played them very tight. It's a very close game. When the Penguins are on their game, they can compete with this team. Boston's not undefeated here they're not invincible they can be beaten and the penguins have enough star power on the top they, they all i think all of their top six forwards um or all but one have 25 goals i think russ is the only one without it it's crazy they're a very good team this penguins team uh when they're clicking and they were right there first period charlie mcavoy makes it one nothing on the power play <clears throat> excuse me uh and then just a minute and 10 minute, minute 13 later, Brian Ross ties it up assisted by uh, sorry, Crosby and Mark Friedman. That was Ross 17th of the season. And then things start going for David Pasternak, one of the best players in the league in the second period. He gets the lone goal in that period, a power play goal to give them a two, one lead. And then Brian Rust answers back uh, four minutes into the third period with his 18th unassisted tied game. Three minutes later, David Pasternak gets his 55th and second of the game to give the Bruins another another lead, a 3-2 lead. Just over five minutes after that, Jake Gensel, his 35th of the season, assisted by Dumoulin again, and then Brian Rust is there. Tie game. We have seven and a half minutes left in the game. We're tied up, Boston-Pittsburgh. And then with just under 2.30 left, I missed this goal because I was in the bathroom. Um, 
at the arena. David Posternock slams one home. His 56th of the season, his third of the game, another hat trick the Penguins let up in just the last three games at that point. This one's assisted by Krejci and Zaka, and that'll do it. The Penguins lose that one, 4-3. So close, so tight up until the end. The team, and I as well, I guarantee you, they're not mad about how they played. I think they played really well. They're mad that it was so close and the game was stolen from their hands. It was right in front of them and they lost it. Easily could have been a Pittsburgh victory. Easily could have went to overtime. And that's a point you need so bad. You hold on to that tie for two minutes and 30 more seconds. You have one more point, And all of a sudden, as we said today, they would be tied for first in the wild card. But instead, they're a point back. And they're only one point ahead of Florida because of that. That's a point they need so, so bad. And they fumbled. Pavel Zaka had a really good game there, getting three assists. Obviously, Pasternak with the hat trick. That team's for real. They're very good. But like I said, they're not invincible. The Penguins were there. They were there all basically 60 minutes. But they lost. But they don't have much time to mourn that loss as the next day they play the Philadelphia Flyers Sunday evening at PPG Paints Arena once again. So back to uh, back to back at the PPG Paints Arena. <clears throat> and Casey DeSmith played as Tristan Jari did the night before. I should mention Jari, I think, played a very well, very good game in uh, against the Boston Bruins. Four goals. Yeah, three of those are against the best one of the best shooters in the league. I think all in all, he played a good game. I'm not too upset with the game that he played, but that's besides the point. This game is the DeSmith game against the Flyers. First period, um, well, it should also be noted, this was Latang's 1,000th game, and obviously, as well as the rest of the core, Crosby and Malkin, he played all 1,000 games with the Penguins, which has only, I think, been, been, been done once. I think it was the LA Kings with Dustin Brown, Anze Kopitar, and Drew Doughty, I believe. I think that's the trio there um, that have done that before. But first period, Ricard Raquel gets two right off the bat, pretty close together to uh, gets his 26th of the season, assisted by Dumoulin again. There's that name again. And Malkin. And then three minutes later, gets one assisted by Malkin and Crosby on the power play. So the Penguins go into the second period with a two-goal advantage. In the second period, Brian Ross, who's been heating up recently, I think he wants to get to that 20-goal plateau. He gets his 19th of the season there, about just over halfway through the second period, assisted by Crosby and Petrie. It's a 3-0 game going into the third. And then five, six minutes almost into the third period, Nick Delorier gets his sixth of the season, assisted by Tony D'Angelo and James Van Riemsdyk. And then 12 minutes later, just under two and a half to go, uh, Travis Konechny gets his 29th of the season, assisted by Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee. All of a sudden, it's a 3-2 game. And the Flyers do pull their goalie, and then Ryan Paling seals the deal with an empty netter, just over a minute left, assisted by Marcus Granlin, sorry, Mikel Granlin. I'm never going to stop doing that. Mikel Granlin, and guess who? Brian Dumoulin, again. Man is an offensive machine. He is a playmaker if there ever was one. So the Penguins escape that game with two points in regulation, and just a quick note here by looking at this, Konechny almost has 30 goals this year. 
I think that might be one of the guys that the Flyers look at moving this offseason. If that's the case, he's not going to get moved to Pittsburgh. No chance. Flyers are never going to make that deal. But that's a really good player to be had. He's tough. He is not... Oh, excuse me. He's not afraid to get into the dirty areas, get in close, you know, you know, get right in front of uh, defenders in the goalie's face, and he could score 30 goals. That's a guy you want on your team, especially if you're a playoff team. He would look so good in the playoffs. I think he has been once in his career with the Flyers, but I have a feeling that he does not. he's not going to line up with their timeline that they have, so maybe they move off of him. And whatever team gets him, they're probably going to have to pay a hefty, pe- a hefty penny. And also, is going to get a great player in return. He's fantastic. I love Travis Konechny as a player. I don't like playing against him because he, uh, I think in his career, he's eaten the Penguins alive, it feels like, at least. But that was the week. So, two wins in regulation. Two losses in regulation. Penguins get four out of a possible eight points. Obviously, those weren't all easy games. The Bruins, best team in the league. Nashville and Detroit... Nashville more so have been in the playoff hunt all year. Philadelphia, that's a bad team. You need to win that game, and they did. But I don't want to make excuses. They get two wins out of those possible four. And this is where we sit now. The Penguins are currently in that second wild card, as I said when we let off the show. They have 86 points in 77 games. The New York Islanders have 87 points in 78 games. So one more game played and one more point. And tied with the Penguins in games played, but one point back, are the Florida Panthers, 85 points in 77 games. But don't look now. The Buffalo Sabres, with 75 games played, so two games in hand on the Penguins and Panthers, three on the Islanders, are starting to rear their head in. They're at 81 points. So five back of the Penguins, four back of the Panthers, six back of the Islanders. But if they win those two games in hand, which... Granted, they have to win those games. They'll be tied with Florida and one point back of the of the Penguins. And then in hand, two of the Islanders. If they win all three of their games in hand uh, that they have over the Islanders, they'll be one point back of the Islanders for the first wild card. And we weren't even talking about them being in any wild card spot. Like I said, they have to win those games in hand. Those games in hand aren't given, aren't a given. And these are the games in hand that they have. Tuesday, they play Florida. That's going to be a crazy game. That is going to be so contentious between those two. Both those teams clawing their way for a playoff position. That's going to be a great one. It's in Florida. Then the the other game in hand they have is Thursday against Detroit. In Detroit. Detroit might be on paper not a great team. But we saw how they played the Penguins. They're not an easy out. And then Saturday they play Carolina. Woof. You feel for them. Actually, I don't. But nonetheless, that's where we stand right now. And there's a lot of scenarios here in which the Penguins can move up. The Penguins can move down. Nothing is guaranteed right now. And again, as we've been saying for the past few weeks, the Penguins are now the only team in a playoff position with a negative goal differential, which is not a good place to be especially when the team that they just faced on Saturday, the Boston Bruins, who they may have to face in the first round, have a positive 120 goal differential. Oof, not great. Now, I'm going to get into the minutiae of basically what would need to happen um, 
down the stretch here, the Penguins have five games left. Florida has five games left. The, the sorry, the Islanders have four games left, and the Sabers have seven. I want to get into the numbers of that here in a second, but let's just get a quick overview of the playoff picture. And you know what? While we're at it, good time to plug our Twitter at pens underscore cast on Instagram at pens underscore cast as well. You can find us there. You can follow me, my personal page at Lucas Wester, both on Instagram and Twitter. <clears throat> Wester, not Webster, as Josh Getzoff said. Um, so this is the playoff format right now. And if the season ended right now, this is how the matchups would be in round one. You would have Carolina and the Islanders. That is not a matchup I think the Carolina Hurricanes want. I think the Islanders are a perfectly built playoff team. But that being said, with two games in hand over the Islanders, the, the Carolina Panthers have 20 more points than them. So that narrative, like I just said, has been pushed around. The Islanders have a great team built for playoff hockey. But I think the Hurricanes are built for all-the-time hockey. I think they're built to win at any given point, and I think that they have more talent leaps and bounds over the New York Islanders. So I think that's a all-right matchup for the Hurricanes. People have been making a big deal about the Islanders are made for playoff hockey, like I just said, which I, I do believe. I believe that their roster is built for playoff hockey, but you're playing a team that's one of the best in the league. And they could be built for playoff hockey too. We don't know. We haven't seen this iteration of the Carolina Hurricanes in the playoffs. They've been in playoffs in years past, but they've made changes. They've made moves. They have three really good goalies right now. Anthony Rantha just came back. They have Freddie Anderson, and they have Pyotr Kachekov the young Russian goalie who's been really making his name known around the league. So I still like the Hurricanes in that matchup, but I think the Islanders may give them fits. They may. Then the other Metro matchup you have is a great one, the Battle of the Hudson River. You have the New Jersey Devils and the New York Rangers. And those two fan bases have been longing for a playoff series against one another. Those two teams, both being New York you know, area teams, hate one another. The fan bases, I think, hate each other more, though. But during this playoff series, I expect the rivalry on the ice to really get ramped up. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see that series. The first round is going to be awesome, always around. And um, we're going to get into the Atlantic uh, matchups here, too. If it ended right now, it would be Boston-Pittsburgh, as we've mentioned many times here on this show. That could change. Pittsburgh could take over that Islander spot and then end up playing the Hurricanes. And it could be a Boston-Islander series could be a Boston Panthers series if the Panthers can sneak in could even be a Boston Buffalo series which those two teams and those fan bases have a lot of animosity towards one another that would be a good one but as it stands right now it is Bruins Penguins in the first round expected I still don't love that matchup for the Penguins but as we saw Saturday they can play them tight I don't know if they'll necessarily win but I think that they can give them a run for their money. And I think it'll be an all right series. I don't know if it's going to be good because I still think the Bruins are leaps and bounds better than the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have 39 more points on the standings than the Penguins. That tells you everything you need to know. Penguins have 38 wins. Bruins have 60. There you go. But this other matchup in the Atlantic is a rematch of last year's, and I think it's going to be good. It's Toronto-Tampa. As it stands right now, the uh, not Burns, the Maple Leafs have four more points and a game in hand over the Lightning. 
So it looks like they're going to get home ice advantage on that one. But don't count out the Lightning. They're right there. Even if the Maple Leafs get home ice advantage, I think they had it last year too, and they still lost against the Lightning in Game 7. So that's how it looks right now. Excuse me. The sickness is getting to me. Um, It's also worth looking over at the West. We don't take a look at the West very often on this show because this is a Penguin-centric podcast, but it's worth taking a look at. I think it's very competitive and it's very tight. There's not a lot of difference between the last wild card and the top seed in the West. Only 12 points separates the Winnipeg Jets and the uh, Vegas Golden Knights right now. And that's how it stands. Um, In the Central, well, it would be the uh, they'd be the, it would be the Minnesota uh, Wild, excuse me. They would be taking on the Winnipeg Jets. However, the Winnipeg Jets are only two points up on the Calgary Flames and are five points up on Nashville, but Nashville has two games in hand over them. So, um, oh, sorry, I read that wrong. The wild card I read right, but it wouldn't be Minnesota playing. That would be the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll start with the Pacific them. Vegas Golden Knights would play the last wild card spot because they have the most points as it stands right now. And, well, the Kings are actually right there too. So it could even be the Kings, sneakily enough. They could become the one seed in the West wild enough. But it would be the Golden Knights against whoever, at this moment, whoever gets into that last wild card spot, which right now it is the Winnipeg Jets. That is a matchup of a rematch of the 2018 Western Conference Final, where it was the Jets and the Knights. It was the inaugural season of the Knights, and they beat the Knights beat the Jets into uh, to get into the Stanley Cup Final. I think that's a good matchup. I think the Golden Knights are a better team, but the Jets have a wild card in their pocket named Connor Hellebuck, one of the best goalies in the league, who can steal series. So... It could go either way. I like Vegas in that series, but it's not a given. Connor Hellebuck is still Connor Hellebuck, and if their top performers over in Winnipeg can play as they should, they can make it a series. But we don't know. I think I, th- I like Vegas in that one, though. Um, even though I really want a Vegas-LA series, I don't think we're going to get it in round one um, just because of the way the standings look right now. But... The other Pacific matchup would be LA-Edmonton, a rematch of last year's first round where I picked LA as an underdog to come out and win that series. They did not. The Edmonton Oilers and Connor McDavid won that one. McDavid was on a historic pace, but I think that was the series that Dreisaitl got hurt. I think it was Mikey Anderson that hurt him and hurt his leg, which made him basically uh, unmovable for uh, the remainder of those playoffs. He still performed really well for a guy that had, uh, you know, some sprained ankle or something going on with his uh, lower body. And I still think Edmonton, if which their firepower has been performing well, if they can continue to perform well, it's going to be tough for L.A. But L.A. is a sneakily good team. They have 100 points, in se- second in the Pacific, one point behind Vegas, one point above Edmonton. So the Pacific standings could change. It could be totally flip-flop by the end of this. Could be Edmonton 1, LA 2, Vegas 3. Could be anything. But as it stands right now, we're getting a rematch of that first round matchup last year. And it's these two teams don't like each other, especially after the whole Leon Dreisaitl uh, injury. I think there's a, there's animosity there between those two teams. They're not natural rivals, but I think that this another uh, second straight first round series could really add to that. 
Now in the Central, as it stands right now, Minnesota would be playing the Seattle Kraken in the Kraken's first playoff series, but Colorado is only down a point and has a game in hand. So Colorado could get first in that Central very easily. But as it stands right now, it would be Seattle, Minnesota. I still am not a believer in Minnesota, and I'm still not a believer in Seattle either. So I'm not sure who to take really in that series. I think if Minnesota rides the hot hand with Philip Gustafson, I think they have an advantage because I don't think Seattle has a goaltender that at their peak performance can play as well as Gustafson right now. Obviously, they Grubauer, you know, played very well when he was in Colorado, but he's been really underwhelming in Seattle. So I don't see them riding him into the playoffs. But a Minnesota-Seattle series would be interesting. I think a Colorado-Seattle series would be really cool. But that's not how it stands right now. Um, and then the other Central Division matchup would be Colorado-Dallas. That would be an incredible series. Dallas has been one of the better teams in the entire season this year. Jason Robertson is a legitimate superstar. Mira Haskinen is a legitimate Norris candidate every year. Even though he doesn't put up the numbers, he's incredible. Jake Ottinger is becoming one of the better goalies in this league. And then the Colorado Avalanche are the Colorado Avalanche. One year removed from a Stanley Cup. I think this would be a... It would be such a war between these two teams, I think. I think ultimately Colorado, if they get Gabe Landeskog back especially, I think ultimately Colorado wins the series. But man, those are two really good teams that one of them is going to, you know lose out in the first round that sucks but even if it was the one to eight neither of them would be in the top uh neither of them would be in the top bit they would not be playing one another um they would probably be the uh they would be the five six seed i believe i think they'd be the five and six seed if it was one to eight so they wouldn't be playing against one another um anyway but it's a great matchup if it happens i would I, th- I think ultimately what's going to end up happening is Colorado is going to leapfrog and get the one seed and it's going to be Minnesota-Dallas, which there's so many storylines there. I mean, the Dallas Stars are formerly the Minnesota North Stars, you know? I mean, there's so much history between those two teams and uh, cities in terms of hockey. I think ultimately that's what it's going to what's going to happen. I could be completely wrong. Dallas even has a chance to take over that first uh, seed in the Central. They're only one point back, tied with games played with Minnesota, and then one more game played than Colorado. But... There's a lot of good potential for uh, first-round series here. There's a lot of good teams this year. Unfortunately, I don't think Pittsburgh is on that level. But playoff hockey's weird. Playoff hockey's wild. We saw the eighth seed LA Kings win a Stanley Cup once upon a time after being pretty bad in the regular season and willing their way through. We saw the St. Louis Blues four years ago go from being the worst team record-wise in January to lifting a Stanley Cup in June. It's possible. Things are crazy. Things are nuts in hockey. And it's it's what make it's what makes it so fun. And it's why we love the sport. Now, it's time to embrace the race. That's just a funny uh inside joke. Um we're gonna go over the Eastern scenarios here real quick, and then we're gonna wrap it up because I'm starting to lose my voice and I have somewhere to be. So as it stands right now, like I said, Islanders in wildcard one, 87 points, 78 games. Penguins in wildcard two, 86 points and 77 games. Florida Panthers outside looking in, 85 points in 77 games. Buffalo Sabres below them, 
81 points in 75 games played. Games remaining, Islanders have four, Panthers and Penguins have five, and the Sabres have seven. Now, a little stat I like to do is just because the games played are all different right now, I like to just do the 82-game point pace. It's basically, you could just sort by point percentage if you wanted to, but I like doing it like this to see where things would end if the paces stayed the same. And as it stands right now, uh, based on 82-game point pace, the Penguins would be in wildcard one, but not by a lot. They would have 91.58 points, and the Islanders would be at 91.46. So that's that's a coin flip right there. Basically, we're going to get down to 82 games more likely than not game 82 and still not know who gets wildcard one or two. I think that's the most likely scenario here. 82 game pace for the Panthers. They're at 90.51. So less than one full point behind the Islanders and a little more than a point behind the Penguins. And then the Sabres are a little below that at 88.56 you know, a little roughly two points behind the Panthers and then three behind the Islanders and Penguins. Now, Penguins don't have the easiest schedule moving forward. They have one of the easier ones, but not the easiest. They play the Devils on Tuesday and then Thursday they play the Wild. And then their final three games are games they there is no excuse to lose. Detroit, Chicago, Columbus. They lost to Detroit already, but you cannot lose on April 8th against the Detroit Red Wings again. You cannot do it. There's too much at stake. I don't know who they're going to play goalie-wise. There are no more back-to-backs, so maybe they ride Jari. I don't know. Nonetheless, Tuesday they play New Jersey. That's going to be a tough one. New Jersey is well above them in the standings. Minnesota is well above them in the standings as well. But the other three are below. And the, the latter two, Chicago and Columbus, are well below. You cannot lose. You have to get four full points in regulation in those two games, period, end of story. But five games left, that's where we sit right now. Let's say the Penguins go 4-1. and one. That'll leave them with 94 points on the season. They would need the Islanders to finish uh, with 93 points, obviously, if they want to get wildcard one. Um in order to get one point below the 94 threshold, so the Penguins clear, if they clear all those teams, this is what the other teams need to do. The Islanders would need to do 3-0-1 or worse to get 93 points. So if the so if they win out they and the Penguins go 4-1, they tie. I think the Islanders have the tiebreaker. But nonetheless, if the Islanders, the Islanders have to get seven of their last eight possible points to get one point below the Penguins. So if the Penguins can win one of these tough games against New Jersey or Minnesota and win the easier games against Detroit, Columbus, Chicago, they can get the first wild card. Florida needs to go 4-1-0 and to get to 93 points. So that's going to be tough for them. And Buffalo needs to go 6-1-0 and to get to 93 points. Buffalo basically has to win out if they want any chance at wild card one Likely, that's not what they're aiming for. I think they just want to get into the playoffs, get the wild card too. But besides the point, that is where things look if the Penguins go 4-1. and one. If the Penguins go 3-2-0, and oh, so they lose to the two tough games, I'll say, and they win the last three easier ones, they would finish with 92 points. In order to have the Islanders finish below them at 91 points, the Penguins need the Islanders to go 2-1-1 and one the rest of the way. They would need the Panthers to go 3-2-0 and oh the rest of the way. 
and they would need the Sabres to go 5-2-0 and the rest of the way. Or worse, obviously. If the teams do worse, that's better for the Penguins. But that's the best that those teams can do for the Penguins to finish above them, given that that record I stated at the beginning. So this time it was 3-2-0, the first time 4-1-0. Let's say things really don't work out for the Penguins here. Let's say they go 2-3-0. Let's say they lose both of those hard games and they lose the Detroit game, but they can somehow win against Columbus and Chicago. They will finish with 90 points. In order to finish above the other teams, they would need the Islanders to go 1-2-1. and That would bring them to 89 points. They would need the Panthers, or they need the Panthers to go 2 3 0. That would give them 90, uh, 89 points. I think 89 is what I meant. I don't think I said, may have said 98. 89 points. Or they'd need, and, well, and they would need the Sabres to go 4 3 0 to get 89 points. Or worse. The teams are more than welcome to do worse than that. But as the way I see it right now, I think if the Penguins want to get wildcard one, their best bet's going 4 1 0. I think if they go 4 1 0, they pretty much clinch, clinch wildcard one. I don't think the Islanders are going to go through uh, 4-0 in their final four games. I think likely... Let's take a look at their schedule while we're at it. I don't have a ton of time left here, but let's see if we can find their schedule. And um, and uh, see who they're playing the rest of the way. Because I think that's a big... Uh, that's an important factor here for their uh, for where they stand. Where they're going to end up standing, uh, prediction-wise. They play Tampa <laughs> Tuesday. They play Philly Saturday. They play the Capitals Monday, and they play the Canadians on Wednesday, and that's it for them. They're well above the Canadians. I think they can beat them. I think the Capitals are going to give them trouble, but they should win that game. They should beat the Flyers. Tampa's going to be tough, especially because Tampa probably wants home ice advantage, and if they win that game, they put they put, get put in better position to get home ice advantage the first round against the Maple Leafs. So... If the Penguins can somehow win one of those two tough games, either Minnesota or New Jersey, and win those easier games against Detroit, Columbus, Chicago, they put themselves in per- in great position to get wildcard one, not have to face the Bruins, and get a first-round matchup probably against Carolina. Another thing that hasn't been talked about enough, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I do have to go here, is not only would the Penguins have to face the Bruins, Say, by some crazy grace of God, they win that series. They beat the Bruins. They get put in the second round gauntlet against either the Maple Leafs or the Lightning. I don't know about you guys, but personally, I would rather go through the Metro gauntlet than I would the Atlantic gauntlet. I don't think that they match up well against the Maple Leafs at all. Maple Leafs are super fast. They really upgraded at the uh, deadline. I love their forward core. Their defense got a lot better. And uh, goalies, you know, they don't have the best goalies, but Samsonov can play well. I don't think Murray is probably going to be the guy they ride. But wouldn't that be funny, a Murray against the Penguins in the playoffs? And then, or if that doesn't happen, you get Tampa Bay, who has gone to three straight Stanley Cup finals and won two of them. I would rather play the Carolina Hurricanes, who haven't won much, or the New Jersey Devils, who are inexperienced, or the New York Rangers, who just last year you were on the brink of beating in five games, but you lost in game seven. They could have won that series in five. They were up 3-1. <sighs> Sucks. But yeah, that's 
my, my that's my more broad view on it. I know everyone's talking about just the first round matchup. You know, you got to get wild card one. You don't want to face the Bruins in round one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, say you get the Bruins and say somehow you win that series crazily enough. You also will need to face the Atlantic Gauntlet uh, in round two. I would rather face the Metro Gauntlet in round two. I don't know who's going to win out in that other series between New Jersey and New York. My brain says New York. I would still rather face the Rangers than uh, Tampa or Toronto. I think the, the Penguins match up against the Rangers better against one of those teams, uh, one of the Metro teams than against the Atlantic. I have more to talk about, but I'm going to end it here just because I have somewhere to be. We're 40 minutes in. It's a good place to stop. I'm going to try to do more post-game recaps this week as the season is ending, and I'd like to get a few more in before the season ends. But that is all for me today on episode three of the Pencast. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure, like I said before, to follow us at pens underscore cast on Twitter, at pens underscore cast on Instagram, at Lucas Wester on both. Wester, not Webster. Thanks, Josh Getzoff. Um, but yeah, that's going to be everything for us. And we have a good docket here coming up for the rest of the way for the Penguins, like I mentioned. Um, some some tough games this week. The New Jersey-Minnesota games are going to be tough. It's not going to be easy for the Penguins. But we'll be here the entire way, rooting them on, covering them, hoping that A, we get into the playoffs, and B, we get into wild card one. That's what we're hoping for. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys in next episode.